Matthew 5, and we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to pick up in verse 33. Before I read the passage, um, so I was born in 1982, and so depending on, on what, who you talk to, it puts me right on the cusp of being a millennial. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, maybe a little bit of a mixture of both. But uh, millennials, you may have heard, we are really, we, we really trust and value authenticity. Contrary to our boomer parents who maybe liked excellence, millennials, we really value, it's not so much the, we don't trust something if it just looks the part or appears the part, we want it to be authentically genuine and true. And so I want to know, is this just my experience as a millennial? I've heard this adage. So I looked to Google, where you can find anything true. And I asked Google, millennials and authenticity. And there is a number of articles, I mean, countless articles. And I read a few, and here's some highlights on millennials and authenticity. Uh, one article quoting a research project found that 84% of millennials reported not liking advertising. We don't like advertisement. And they listen, but what we trust in a brand or company is when they use technology properly, which kind of made me think, what? I don't know how they draw that. We don't like advertising, but we trust technology. And here's their, their after looking at the research, what they found. Millennials need, it makes, is it, I like the way they phrase it. Millennials need to feel authenticity and they find it through their digital experience. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I kind of feel like a little child. Millennials need to feel often, so they, they want to tap into our, our feelings. Um, also, uh, another thing I found, an article, that brands need to give, they can sell their products best when they, go, when they give millennials a behind-the-scenes perspective. And so they'll, they'll have, and so you may have even... They want it to feel authentic. So they'll have commercials where it's, it might be about makeup, but it's a, it shows the actress getting the makeup put on them so you, you trust it a little more. Uh, you have Apple commercials that in order to sell their product, they have what appear to be user pictures or videos that were captured that look perfect. And you're wondering, can an iPhone really capture a picture that looks that good? But that's you know, what they're selling. They're selling authenticity. Uh, another article, it, it defined what is brand authenticity. And here's what they found. What makes something authentic? It needs to be honest, have integrity, transparency, consistency, vision, uniqueness, expertise, passion, and social awareness. That makes something really authentic, which I think all those are really good. Uh, lastly, I, I saw an article on how to have authenticity in your branding, and they gave a color scheme. It got down to details on how to be authentic in your color schemes for food. And they gave an example for uh, Japanese and Korean packaged foods. In the West, when you're marketing Japanese or Korean foods, they typically stick to the color scheme of black, white, and red. And a little bit of, they, they said a brush of calligraphy. You know. But if you want to be authentic... You need to understand that the Japanese enjoy a deep indigo blue called 
Azimo. Now, I probably mispronounced that, so I'm being very inauthentic here and, and quoting the research from the, the articles I read. But, you know, it's just so interesting and ironic. All the work that goes into trying to come across as authentic. But I think it speaks to the experience that many of us have living in this age of advertisement, trying to discern who and what can be trusted. Where can we find truth? We value and we want authenticity because we live in a very inauthentic and pretending world. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is casting this vision for human flourishing, and he roots it in his kingdom. And one of the things Jesus does over and over again in this vision of human flourishing is call out the inauthentic expressions of people in leadership, especially among religious leaders. Later, and we're going to get to in a a few weeks, Jesus is going to talk about those who pray, but they do it publicly to be noticed. He's going to talk about people who fast, and yet when they're fasting, they talk to others about how hard they have it. He's going to speak to people who give, and they give publicly so that they're noticed by others. Jesus, what he's saying is one of the things that prevents human flourishing are religious leaders who are inauthentically relating to God. If we could just be frank about it, I'm looking around the room, seeing how many kids we have in here. Jesus is regularly calling out the religious bullshit. He calls it out because he knows it prevents people from relating to him and living in genuine and authentic ways. And that's what we have in our passage this morning. Jesus speaking to the heart of inauthentic living. And I'm going to read it. Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, what is happening here? What is happening? Jesus is addressing a common practice among their day that we don't quite relate to today many years later. But I think once we get to the point of what Jesus is getting at, you'll see what he's doing. What's happening is that people in Jesus' day and age, they didn't write out contracts regularly like we do today. When you're forming a pact, you write out a contract. Um, But still today, if you're giving testimony in a court of law, you might swear on the Bible. You might take an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And so what I practice in their time, whether it was an exchange of goods or if they were testifying in a court of law, people took oaths. Now, to make their oath more believable, one of the practices was you had a scaling of words. So people would say, I take an oath by, in our our text, heaven. I take an oath by earth. I take an oath by Jerusalem. I take an oath by my own head, which makes you wonder why. Why are they doing this? 
Well, one of the Ten Commandments is not to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, I, as a kid, I was raised to think that means you, say, you don't say, oh, my God. You know? But really, the concept then was you don't take a vow with God's name and then not keep it. And so what Jesus is doing, he's calling out their desire to not say the name of God. They're very concerned about not using God's name improperly. And yet, they were okay with deceiving people. And we see this in Matthew chapter 23. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it briefly. Jesus, he speaks again to these oaths and vows people take. In verse 16, listen to what he says. He says, woe to you, he's speaking to the Pharisees, you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. What was happening is people, leaders of the time, they got together and they said, all right, if someone swears by the gold in the temple, they need to be held accountable for that vow. But if they swear by the temple itself, it's okay. And Jesus looks at this, he speaks to them, he says, look, guys, what is this ridiculousness? Just be honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't worry about scaling your vows in order to prove your believability. Just be an honest person. Jesus is disturbing a system of their time that gave permission for people to be disingenuous. That gave permission for people to deceive. Jesus' point is, be a person of integrity. His kingdom should be people of integrity. They don't need to take oaths. They just can speak the truth. Our world needs people of integrity. One of the ways we can be a blessing to our communities, to our neighborhoods, to our cities, is by being people who represent authentic, genuine character and spirituality. Being people who just don't preach, but practice what we preach. We just don't lecture everyone on how to live, but we actually love people. And so what does it look like to invite Jesus to call out the BS in our life? You know, it, it, there's a temptation when we read a Sermon on the Mount, come to this, to, to kind of team up with Jesus and be like, yeah, Jesus, these Pharisees, get them. Woe to you, Pharisee, you bunch of liars. And, and we're, we're, we're like, look back, Jesus, right? I mean, them over there? <laughs> and what does it look like for Jesus to turn and look at us? What are some of the ways that we are inauthentically relating to God, and how can Jesus call out our BS? And so this morning, I want to look at what is kingdom character? What is integrity in the kingdom of God? Uh, first, when we think of what is kingdom character, kingdom character integrity, integrity rests in the gospel truth. To understand our passage rightly, and we do it every week when we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we need to understand the big message that Jesus is communicating, the big picture of his work. In our world, we often divide people between those who are evil, the liars, and murderers and sinners over here, and those who are righteous. That's how the Pharisees divided people, those who were evil and wrong and those on God's team who do the right thing. Jesus divides in a different way. 
He divides between those who think that they're righteous and those who know they need God's grace. And this speaks to us. This reminds us that the gospel, that the defining truth in our life is not our ability to keep the law. It's not our ability to be honest. It's Jesus fulfilling the law on our behalf so that we could be brought into the presence of God. You know, it's interesting. Jesus invokes the presence of God in this passage. There's people who wanted to swear by heaven and earth and Jerusalem and your head. And Jesus is like, look, do you understand that God is present everywhere? God is omnipresent. Amen. God is present in all places, everywhere. He sees everything. Now, there's a part of that that's a little intimidating. To know that God is everywhere and sees all things. Well, it's November and we're almost to Christmas season. And anyone here, if, if you want to be honest, you know, since we're there, has anyone here listened to Christmas music already? Oh, wow. We're all judging you so hard right now. Right? Janelle, you haven't listened to Christmas music yet? Wow. Discipline. It's almost here. Now, some of you are like, oh, Lord, how are we going to make it? Others of you are really excited. Christmas music's around the corner. Christmas decorations are around the corner. And there's this new Christmas decoration. It's actually not new. I think it's been around since like 2005, but I'm a late. I catch on late. It's Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> Have you guys seen this? Elf on the Shelf is, is freaky. Apparently, you put this elf on your shelf or anything, and it, it just sits there, and it looks, and it's a scout for Santa Claus. That's what it said. It's what it is. It's a, it's a Santa scout to see who's being naughty and nice. I, we haven't had one in our home, but I, I don't want one because it'll sit there and watch me stealing my children's Halloween candy, and I don't want to feel any extra conviction. But a lot of us, we, let, we relate to God's presence in that way. Kind of this, oh, is he see, oh, does he see me? And, and what that leads to when that's the only way we think of God's presence is we, we're, we're afraid of him. And I feel like I invoke this with my kids. I'm tempted to, anytime I talk about God, to have it all always be related to when they're doing something wrong. You know, God will see. You might be able to trick your dad, might be. But God will see all things. And, and then they can be raised to not desire God's presence. We're reminded here that Jesus, that, when, that God's presence isn't just there to spot out our wrongs, but God's presence is there to comfort, to bring healing in our lives to the lies others have inflicted on us and to bring forgiveness when we have made mistakes. We read the law in light of the gospel that says Jesus died for angry, lustful liars like you and me. Integrity rests not in performing, not in being honest, but it rests in the gospel. But also, integrity pursues. It pursues objective truth. If, we, if it rests in the gospel, it also stands 
in truth in all its forms. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus wants to free us from from, uh, posturing personally with truth, from truth posturing personally, but also free us from truth posturing socially. It's been said that we live in a post-truth world. uh, Post-truth was the word of the year in 2016. And and post-truth, the the premise is that we ground the truthfulness of a claim more in our emotion than in in objectifiable data. That's the concept of a post-truth world, that we believe something is true, not so much on the facts, the objective truths, if you will, but more on just our own personal experience and emotion. And there are a number of reasons why this is the case. This is a very interesting thing when you look at and study our culture and why this is the case. And certainly no one is purely uh, objective. We all interpret the data, if you will. We all interpret truth based on the lens of our cultural background, experiences, and values. But as Christians, we must recognize that even though all of us interpret the data through the lens of a bias, that there is still broader truth outside of just our perspective and interpretation. And because God is committed to truth, his people should be committed to truth in all of its forms. And so a few expressions of this and how we can think about it, as Christians, we should be pro-science. We should, we should not be afraid of research in the data and what it teaches us, whether it's biological, whether it's astronomy, uh, whether it's meteorology and weather patterns. Global warming is a great test case. So I, I, I'm not here to say you should believe or not believe in global warming, but I find it interesting that in America, Christians believe less in global warming than the public at large. But when you go to every other country, Christians actually are very passionate about global warming. Could it be that in America, we're more tied to conservative Republican politics than the truth? And I think it's also worth pointing out that the vast majority of scientists believe in global warming. Now, I'm not, I'm merely trying to challenge us to think, are we basing our perspective more on the facts or are we basing it more on a political party we're a part of? We shouldn't shouldn't be anti-science. We shouldn't promote pseudoscience. We need to be people that are for the facts, even and especially when it might challenge some of our preconceived notions and biases. Also, what this teaches us that we're not just pro-science, but being pro-truth means that we don't cover up abuse and fraud. That we don't feel like we need to cover up the truth in the name of Jesus. And when we feel like we need to cover up the truth in the name of Jesus, we're not doing Jesus's work. We're working against Jesus because Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That there's freedom in living in the truth, not covering it up. We report abuse and fraud. As Christians, we should, we should, be, we should pursue objective truth. 
Also, kingdom character, uh, integrity avoids rationalizing truth. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We pursue this socially, but we also allow the truth to be objective for our own heart and our own self. The question for us to consider is, how am I rationalizing a truth to allow me to do something that I know is wrong? And we all do this. We all do it. Uh, Dan Airely is a psychologist and behavioral economics professor at Duke University. And he studied dishonesty and wrote a book on it. Uh, very interesting. I highly, highly recommend it. It's called The Honest Truth About Our Dishonesty, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves. And if you're not much of a reader, he has a documentary called Dishonesty, The Truth About Lies. And he did a number of research projects and, and one of them that really communicated the core thing that they found in their research was he did an experiment at MIT, and they, they took, uh, what do you, the cold things you put, food, refrigerators, thank you. <laughs> they put Cokes and dollar bills in refrigerators in dorms, and they went back a week later, and all the Cokes had been taken. But hardly any of the dollar bills And what that showed them, and this among other things, was that people felt more comfortable taking a Coke, but they didn't feel comfortable taking a dollar bill because if you took a dollar bill, you felt more like a thief. But taking, stealing a Coke, you're all right. And so here's their premise. We will all take as much as we can as long as we can maintain a self-image that we're not doing something wrong. Basically, we all rationalize. We're all dishonest, a matter of degree. And one of the things that enables our dishonesty is when we can do it in such a way that we don't feel that we're doing anything wrong. We rationalize. We rationalize when we say, you know, yeah, this this might be bad, but it's not as bad as what others are doing. This is what the Pharisees are doing. You know, yeah, we might be dishonest, but we're not taking God's name in vain. Yeah, I might be downloading a movie illegally, but do you know what they're doing? Do you, there's so much crime in the world. This is a small little thing. And really, you know, Hollywood, those companies, they make so much money. Do you see the wrong that they're doing, Hollywood, the whole Me Too thing? Yeah, you know, see, I'm not so bad. And the actors and directors, they want their products to be out there. So I'm really doing a good thing, illegally downloading this movie or show. We rationalize. Sure, I might be fudging on my taxes, but the government's so corrupt. You know the wrong that the government does? You know, and they're taking so much of my money. If I you know, fudge a little bit here, I'm actually doing the right thing. We also rationalize by telling ourselves everyone's doing it. Everyone's cheating on the taxes. Everyone's downloading uh, things they shouldn't. Everyone's lying on the reports. I can fudge the the sales and the goals I achieved a little bit. Everyone's doing it. What are some of the ways that you're prone to rationalize things you know are wrong? Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Also, integrity internalizes truth. It internalizes it. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's always going back to the heart. You see, one of the things that prevents us from being honest is when we 
think of following God merely in external expressions. We don't take it to the heart. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. But I say to you, anyone who harbors anger. You see, he's saying, you want to you just focus on the externals. I want to take it to the heart. He's saying, you've been told, don't take, don't break your oaths. I want to tell you, don't even need an oath. That you're a person of that kind of integrity. A mentor of mine, uh, Bill Wellens, was an incredible figure. And I think I've referenced him a, a few times recently. Uh, when I went through my church planning residency, he was a mentor. And he's mentored a number of different pastors and church planners and people. And he was a man of high character. Uh, often surrounded by young uh, pastors and church planners who, you know, we would snicker at different church expressions and pastors. And, and anytime we would speak in a way that wasn't glowing about another pastor uh, who we might know broadly in, in the public, he would always say something like, you know, I bet God's doing amazing work through their church. And you're just like, oh, Bill. <laughs> He was, he was a man of high character. And there was something that he said a lot. And it, it hit home for me when our church was going through a, a challenging season. He said, Jay, you need to be more concerned about the integrity of your heart than your reputation. If we're focused just on what everyone thinks will be prone to be dishonest. What does it look like to internalize the truth that we're more concerned about the integrity of our heart where only God sees than dwelling and focused on what other people think? And of course, this was the problem of the Pharisees. They were preoccupied with how others viewed them. And we see this today. We see it in social media. The temptation to think that we are only what others think. We are only as valuable as the amount of likes we get on a picture we post online. And so we can internalize that way of seeing ourselves rather than focus on the heart. Integrity internalizes the truth. Kingdom character and integrity, it rests in the gospel, it pursues objective truth, it avoids rationalizing, it internalizes truth, and lastly, integrity loves others with the truth. It is loving. The idea we have is not Jesus here, you know, with, with um, what is the thing that a detective has around his eye? Spyglass. Mic, uh, not a microphone. Magnifying. magnifying glass. Yes. Jesus isn't showing up with his magnifying glass out. All right, let me expose some liars. Who, who, who's you? You, over here. Jesus is so gentle. I mean, it's interesting. Peter, great, great example. Peter takes an oath that he won't deny Jesus three times. And he does that very night. And it's not that that was before Jesus went to the cross and then post-resurrection. Peter, all that lying is left in the past. And now he's an amazing, 
He's the rock on who Jesus is going to build his church. He's pure and never make... No, in Acts, Paul writes a public letter. He publicly has to rebuke Peter because when he's with the Gentiles and the religious leaders aren't there, he's friends and nice to them. But when the Jewish leaders are there, he's avoiding them. Paul's like, look, bro, you're being deceptive. You're relating with these people one way when some are around and when they're not around. It's like you're back in the middle school cafeteria here. What's the point? Jesus, he's not here to just call out everyone's lies. Jesus uses the truth to love people. He's loving with the truth. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 4 when he says, speak the truth in love. And so how can we be discerning here? If we're going to be truthful people, because, you know, as I'm preparing this message, I'm mindful that many in the church who are often the most passionate about the truth are sometimes angry and mean with it. (laughs) And so what does it look like? How do we discern if I'm hurting someone with the truth or if I'm loving them with the truth? Discerning if I'm loving or hurting, some questions to consider first Am I trying to hurt them with the truth? I mean, that's like straight up right there. Am I wanting to speak about this truth in such a way that I hurt and harm another person? Am I using this truth to control them and get them to do what I want? Am I expressing this truth at a time that's going to bring lasting damage? Discernment's so important. Again, Jesus, the picture we have of him is not showing up and calling everyone and exposing everyone's sin. I mean, think about being friends with Jesus. Wow. He knows all, sees all, sees right to the heart. And he's not here to expose everyone. He, He loves people. He views the truth as a means of bringing healing and care and freedom and liberation, not as a means of hurting and piling on. And so for us to consider, how can I be honest with someone in a way that makes them feel cared for? How can I focus on the truth of the gospel and God's love for someone and communicate that in conversation? And a question for us to all consider is how can I love others with the truth? And does the experience that our world has with the church lead them to believe that the church is both an honest community, a community of integrity, a community of authentically following God, and a community that does it in a way that brings love and care to others? Is kingdom character a part of your life and my life? How are we we relating to truth? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a God who loves us with the truth. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that we are accepted by you not based on our ability to keep your commands, but based on Jesus and his perfect work and record. 
And God, I pray that we would be people of integrity, that we would be genuine, that we would be honest, honest with our struggles, honest with our shortcomings, honest with our doubts, honest with ourselves. And that we, we could be an honest community where we're free to share our struggles because we know we won't be kicked out or judged. And God, that we would be a community where healing is found, where the gospel truth is applied to our heart and hands, and that we would be a place where healing and love just permeates our relationships. Lord, help us to be a truthful people. Amen.